0: You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine.
1: Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today we have a giant in the industry, Uh, not just in the industry, but like a giant man himself. We have our friend Andre Adams is here, and he is an Olympian. He is a bodybuilder, he is a great person, and it's his second time on the show because he did such a killer job on the first time around. We wanted to have him back, and he's also presenting at Optima 2021. So this is just kind of a primer so that if you plan on attending Optima, you may wanna attend Andre's session. So ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce him. Andre Adams, how are you, sir?
0: Hey, hey, glad to be back, Rick. Thanks for having me rejoin the show you know we'll talk about a few other physique and bodybuilding related topics i'm excited to be back so as rick mentioned too you know make sure you check out the best practices for physique and body composition at optima 2021 it's going to be virtual leave it to the 21st through the 23rd we're going to be dropping some knowledge bombs and everything physique in that episode
1: Nah, I love it. And I think that it's, it's something interesting. I've been seeing a lot more people getting involved in things like this. What do you think is driving that? What are some of the things that you think are really driving this, the the movement towards physique and bodybuilding? Is it, is it access? Is it uh, the, the coaching that's going on? Is it the online accessibility? Like what are some of the things that are leading to it before we get into the meat of our show?
0: Sure. You know, just the industry as a whole, when we look at that market segment for, Uh, physique, we'll call it, you know, whether it's competition or body composition, I think the information is so readily available, but you have to be careful because there's a lot of pseudoscience out there and self-proclaimed gurus, right? So it can be a little Mm -hmm. bit dicey. And that's, um, you know, why NASM and, you know, grounding ourselves in those science-based principles is so important. But, you know, as a whole, it's really globalization of the sport. Uh, Bodybuilding, log into Instagram, it's a very visual thing, for instance, and it's something that a lot of people find Mm -hmm. very fun. Um, You know, it's exciting. It gives you that uh, structure and that routine and a target to shoot for. So it's kind of normalized the sport. Whereas even just 10 years ago, when I was first getting involved in the competition side, you couldn't really go to a gym and find people that were experts on this stuff. Uh, So I think just, you know, the market growing itself has contributed to it. And um, I'm excited to be a part of it.
1: All right. Well, listen, I, I think it's interesting because sometimes people, you know, NASM is, I guess, probably not best known for physique and bodybuilding. And, and I think it's because it is a um, it's a systematic, progressive means of getting somewhere. And it's performance based model that we use, the OPT model. But within that model, there is muscular development. And I think that sometimes that gets overlooked because we, we teach the model so much as a whole that people don't think that the levels, when we discuss muscular development, actually exist for the purpose of muscular development. So, you know, right. building size and strength and hypertrophy. Um, can we talk about this, the system that you and I discussed early on? What about progressive overload? How do we implement that into our training? And how can that progressive overload help to support the process of building muscle?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right, Rick. And if we think back historically, right, with the OPT model, as you mentioned today, we call it muscular development, which I, I like because it's a lot more appropriate. But you know, historically, we call the strength hypertrophy, which is really building muscle, right? And what are those specific adaptations that are going to be really sport specific for the intent of bodybuilding? Uh, the other differentiation I would make is between general body composition goals and aesthetic physique goals. Right? They they go hand in hand, but they're really two separate distinct goals. Um, I can have somebody who is very you know great at reducing their body fat percentage, holding on to their lean muscle. You know, let's say they get down to eight percent body fat. They've hit their body composition goal doesn't necessarily mean that they aesthetically have a physique goal that they would want to compete with, right? So Mm -hmm. we have that distinction going on, which is where muscular development phase comes into play. Now, with the, you know, we talked about progressive overloading. I'll even keep it maybe a little bit more high level to start if we think about GAS or set principle, right? So that's general adaptation. Um, We've also got a lot of these. You know underlying mechanisms that help drive these very specific physique goal adaptations so we give uh an imposed stimulus right and yeah. what targeted muscle group is going to create what adaptation so that's really the goal when we're bodybuilding i want to isolate a specific muscle and grow my physique proportionally like an artist right maybe i'm trying to round off my shoulder caps or i'm trying to build a bigger bicep these are things that we need to incorporate from a programming and periodization perspective, um, as well as achieving that body composition goal at the same time.
1: Now, when you address these things like an artist, right, so you're going through it and and you really look at yourself where you have somebody view you with uh, a, a little more objectivity right. and they look at you and go, you know what, I think you need to, to build a little bit more here, a little bit more there. Uh, for, for you as an athlete, do you, do you welcome that? Are you like, no, nah, man, I've been working <laughs> I've been working on that yeah. and, uh, and and get a little defensive. Like how does that work? and, and do you mm-hmm. see that in clients that you work with?
0: Yeah, so that's a great question, Rick. And what that comes down to is really, you know, in fact, in our optimal presentation, I'm going to touch on some of the best assessments for physique athletes. Uh, whether you're just trans you know trying to transform your physique and improve your body count or you're trying to compete and step on stage, I think it's critical when you take uh, weekly check-in pictures, your progress picks, part of it is for your coach to understand, all right, how close did you follow against plan? And what was the adaptation that we're seeing this week? Here's the adjustments I need to make with your nutrition or your training protocol. But the other part is really intrinsic motivation, right? So that's the accountability yeah. aspect. If I know I, look, I took my kids out for a birthday party I had cupcakes and I really blew my diet, right? I missed two or three prep meals, had some pizza. When I take that picture at the end of the week and I weigh in, it doesn't lie, right? So it's going to tell me if I was on point or if I was off and I need to step my game up the next week. So really, again, the uh, extrinsic feedback from your coach and then also the intrinsic adjustments that you need to make from a mindset and an accountability standpoint.
1: Got you. Now, with that being said, if you're looking at... Um, weekly check-ins i mean that seems that seems to be a, a very narrow sliver of time to get uh, a little bit more peak on a bicep i but i don't know i don't know the the timeline uh, right. that that you're looking at in order to see this so um when you're putting these programs and you're doing these weekly check-ins with people and your goal i mean you're trying to build muscle we're in the muscular development phase and we'll get into the programming in a moment but yeah. what does that look like for somebody that says i mean you know we're we're trying to put on muscle, and I don't really see any change. At what point do you? Gen- and I know it varies, and yeah. nobody likes the answer. It depends, mm-hmm. uh, and I know it depends. But generally, what are you looking at here?
0: Yeah, so that's a great question, and a little bit comes down to: Am I in a bulking phase or am I in a in a cutting phase? And really, when we look at things like tracking body weight, that's really directional information to monitor trends over a period of time and we adjust your maybe your training set volume your acute variables or your diet up or down from there to keep you trending in a certain direction so let's talk for a moment specifically on building muscular muscle right so muscular development and let's say the client goal or athlete goal is to increase 10 pounds of lean muscle over the next you know 12 weeks what i'm looking for on a weekly basis um if you have access to an in-body right? Or a DEXA Mm. scan, which is really the gold standard. But when you can measure things like the amount of body fat percentage, whether it's visceral, subcutaneous, or intramuscular, um, when you look at lean muscle mass, right? If I can see lean muscle trending up and your body weight directionally should be trending up over that period of time, I know we're headed in the right direction. Now, aesthetically, that's the purpose of the check-in progress pictures. I might say, all right, look, this particular client body type is an ectomorph. I've got to approach his training a little bit differently. So, higher weights, right? Heavier loads, maybe a little bit less volume, less cardio to put on size. And if he's got a lagging muscle group of, uh, let's just take legs, for instance. Let's suppose his quads are predominant and his hamstrings and glutes are lagging. What I'm going to do with those lagging muscle groups is progressively overload those disproportionately higher, right? So, I might pre exhaust those groups, I might have a set volume that has 10 to 20% higher loading on those specific areas to create that adaptation for a physique
1: goal. Oh, man, this is fascinating. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got Andre Adams here. He is an NASM master trainer, and he is a professional bodybuilder. He is an Olympian, and he is with us today to talk about progressive overloading for muscular development. So let's get into discussing this progressive overloading because- yeah. I know when I when I first started training, I'm sure it's like this for a lot of people, at least in in my age group and above. So we started training. It was three sets of 10. That was the rule. That's what everybody did. Uh, more and more, I teach workshops and I ask that question. I don't get it as much. I get a lot of people who, who have different perspectives on their starting point and when they start training in their rep range. But everything that I did when I was younger was based on these bodybuilding protocols and three sets of 10 was a big part of that. And I gotta tell you, like periodization wasn't really there. We did yeah. sometimes my buddy Bart would be like, let's do a fourth set. And I'd be like, four <laughs> sets. My gosh, that's we must be doing progressive overload. <laughs> so <Yep. laughs> uh what what is the what's the programming like now with with how you train? And are you implementing additional phases of the NASM OPT model in some of the folks that you're working with?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think inherently, as you mentioned, progressive overloading is something that most people do, right? If you're um, pyramid, pyramiding up in weight each set, mm. if you, um, you know, week over week are increasing the loading and there's so many different variables that you can use, it's not just the weight, right? Because at some point you're going to start to plateau where you want to ri- don't want to risk uh, injury or anything like that. Um, so once you get to, let's say 85% your one rep max, and you want to keep yourself in that hypertrophy phase, uh, muscular development phase, you can now start to leverage other variables like your timing, your cadence, your rest between sets, um, you know, the duration, if it's a, you know, more of an endurance type of exercise. So there's a lot of different ways to create that overload. And just general rule of thumb is whether it's intensity or, uh, the amount of weight you're using you want to keep that overload within about 10 percent week over week uh, again that gives your body a time, to- uh, you know enough time to really create the adaptation to force those joint stabilizers the foundation muscles oh, to nice. support the heavier load of subsequent phases uh, you mentioned periodization too and it's it's crazy like you said i've been doing this i started doing this when i was 12 years old so you know 24 25 years ago and Man. i didn't know anything about periodization we just trained until I couldn't train anymore, right? That's no, right. <laughs> Maybe until it hurts and then do a couple more reps and, you know, you'll be fine. So thinking about it more strategically, right? It's really important to start every athlete or client in those earlier phases. So focus on stabilization and strength endurance in the beginning. Even if I'm starting an athlete in a prep, it's the same approach. We want to build up those joint stabilizers, the intrinsic core, all of the foundation to support the heavier loads of subsequent phases. And, you know, for me personally, when I'm coaching or when I'm writing my own protocol, I try to make those adjustments every two to four weeks. It really depends Mm -hmm. on uh, a few things. One big one is how closely the athlete, you know, how closely did they perform against plan? If you only hit the plan 50%, there's no need for me to adjust the phase yet because you haven't really got the full benefit of that adaptation. Yeah. Um, If the athletes on on point 100 percent week over week, they're nailing the diet, nailing the training. Now I know whatever result they're getting is specifically due to the plan itself. And, you know, two to four weeks in, I'm going to make an adjustment, avoid plateau, definitely some progressive overloading. So I might add set volume, uh, definitely going to be increasing either the amount of reps or the weight. Um, But definitely, you know, every two to four weeks you can plan on a progressive overload.
1: Okay. All right. Good. So, so I like this. And one of the things you're talking about here, and I think it's important to point out is that we're not just looking, not solely looking at the amount of progression that can take place from, let's say like a a phase one to a phase two to a phase three in the OPT model. But even if we just stay in muscular development phase, right? Mm -hmm. So muscular development phase, there are so many variations and permutations that can be made within that one, within that one phase, right? So there's a repetition range that you can play with. There is a set range that you can play with. There is the rest in between. There's a tempo of the speed at which we do the exercise, uh, the variations between the different types of sets that you can do. So whether or not uh you're doing a pyramid or a drop set or um you know peripheral heart action, a push pull, yeah. a superset, a giant set. There are so many variations within that one level. And yep. so what I think is important to point out is that we're not just saying, hey, you know, two to four weeks, Within a strength level and then get out of it. That's not that's not true. There's so right. many permutations that can take place that you can stay in a hypertrophy level or that muscular development level for several months Absolutely. as long as you're continuing to create the create the variety within that workout.
0: So that's a really great point, Rick. And a lot of people, I think, that's an oversight, right? Where we feel like we have these phases, there's tools at our disposal, and we've got to continuously, you know, cycle through all five phases. Um, you know, by, by all means, you can certainly stay, uh, if you're doing a bodybuilding prep 12 to 16 weeks, you can stay 90% of that in the muscular development phase and just yeah. cycle through your progressions, right? So you've got really the three main levels of stabilization. You've got strength, you got power. Then within those, you know, you, you can break that down into muscular development for this purpose. And then within that, you've got these, you know, seven, eight, nine variables that you can progress and modify it throughout the course of a prep. Um, another thing we should probably touch on are really the, um, you know, when we think about the mechanisms for muscular development, right? If anyone's read the, um, I think it was the 2014 NASM guide to bodybuilding that laid a pretty nice foundation from a scientific side to talk about what's really happening inside the muscle to create this adaptation, right? So when I progressive overload, what's really happening. And I think we had three in the guide to bodybuilding, which were really, um, exercise induced muscle damage. Um, right so that's just the small tears that we're creating from physical exercise especially on the eccentric motion then you've got the metabolic stress right the bill of lactic acid the um you know shocking that protein synthesis from resistance training things of that nature uh you've got mechanical force that's just the tension the amount of weight you're using is another variable um the mm-hmm. physical tension inside the muscle and then I added a fourth one that I'll talk about at Optima, nice. which is really the fascia stretch training, right? Um, you heard people like, you know, people in the industry like Honey Rambod and others talk about the importance of it. And really this plays into uh, hypertrophy where we're shuttling as much oxygenated, nutrient rich blood flow into a specific muscle group to create an adaptation, right? So if I'm, again, focusing on a lagging area that I need to develop, this is another tool where think of a balloon and you're blowing up the balloon, um, you're focusing on very short time, very short rest between sets. You're focusing on higher volumes, five, six, seven sets of eight to 12 reps and really driving that reaction to that stimulus, right? So again, all these things, these four mechanisms really drive muscular development for the purpose of a physique goal.
1: Now I love discussing yeah. the mechanisms of hypertrophy because it gives us yeah. uh, a perspective, a different, uh, a lens at which we can see hypertrophy through. Because sometimes uh, we oversimplify things, and sometimes you just go, "Oh, uh, there, there are tears in the muscle, mm-hmm. and your body's yeah. healing from those tears." And yeah. uh, that—that's actually, I mean, it's a portion, it's a part of it, as you mentioned. There, there's some really fascinating parts of training that go along with hypertrophy that are relatively new like um like blood flow restriction and and i find that interesting because you're not tearing anything you're breaking you're breaking anything down and uh i don't don't think that you know i'm i'm not here advocating that people just go tourniquet their thighs and and do some squats but what i'm saying is that there's some mechanism in there Mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with breaking down a muscle fiber you know right. and creating these micro tears that still allow for relatively significant hypertrophy with about 30 to 40 45% of a mm-hmm. one rep max being done and these kind of mechanisms when you when you look at that and you see it in light of these other components that you mentioned not just breaking down a muscle right. then it allows us to have you know a perspective to go oh maybe there's more to this hypertrophy than just than just Beating up on myself until I can't lift anymore. That's
0: exactly right. And you know, there's we can even take it another level deeper. And this is what's yes. fascinating about this, right? Is when we think about things like blood flow restriction training, we think about all these other mechanisms. What's the real way? What's other synergies can we leverage to maximize the result? And if you're not pairing that with the right kind of micro and macronutrition, you're going to be limiting how much mm. benefit you get, right? So think about. Uh, scar tissue in the body, right? It's the strongest thing that your body can really manufacture. And really when we create those micro tears, that bond is similar to, you know, tiny pieces of scar tissue building and developing muscle. Now, how do we repair and recover that muscle efficiently to maximize our, you know, time in the gym on a weekly basis, right? Because if you're too sore, you're not going to be back in the gym hitting that same muscle group for three, four, five days. So when you pair different kind of micro and macro nutrition to recover um you've got the essential nutrients that you need to you know get into those muscles and start that process a bit sooner all those things add up to bigger results even just training intensity if we think about that uh metabolic stress right so protein synthesis we've got to have enough quality essential amino acids in our body um we've got to you know you can add things like beta alanine that's going to buffer lactic acid mm-hmm. right stretching post workout is going to help flush out some of that lactic acid from the muscle and allow you to recover get back in the gym sooner and hit that same muscle group harder again that week so there's a lot All of right. areas
1: i like that you you mentioned hit that muscle group uh, again uh, during the week and the reason yeah. i like that it's just it's something again i want to ask you about as a, an olympian uh, professional bodybuilder and a coach for those who are aspiring and doing uh, professional work on stage. Um, we hear people talk about, you know, one muscle group per week. So this yeah. is going to be my, my leg day, this is my bicep day, uh, it's my shoulder day. And so you get all of these single days and then you have some people that are pushing for two times a week and maybe you'll even get three times a week. Um, with, with understanding that that things like that certainly will depend, what, what is it that you see in the research that you see anecdotally when you're working with your folks that you tend to drive people to do? And do you also add in, you know, let's do once a week you know as a variety or two times a week as variety so give us an idea of what we're talking about here
0: yeah so there's you know there's a million ways to approach it and Uh I'll, i'll kind of talk about the baselines and then how i would go about customizing that for an individual right nice so let's take um let's take somebody who's trying to develop right so they're trying to grow they're trying to build muscle before they get into their cutting phase and you know the most extreme example would be I would say men's bodybuilding, like open bodybuilding, or um, a really good one to use, actually, is the newer division in NPC IFBB, which is women's wellness division. Uh, Hmm. It's a unique division for, this comes down to your genetic body type, which is something I love to talk about, Um, women that are a little bit naturally um, bottom heavy, right? So bigger hips, uh, bigger glutes, bigger legs, they don't tend to place well in bikini because that's counterintuitive to the requirements for that division. So wellness, I've, you know, I've had a lot of bikini athletes that want to switch over. And when you think about it from a programming and periodization standpoint, how do you develop the physique almost disproportionate to build the thighs and glutes at a faster rate than the upper body? And, you know, if you think about it, just that face value, well, I've got to have higher volumes on those areas. So here's how I would craft a plan for that. I would leverage uh, lower body days. So maybe a, And we'll call it an intermediate split. So maybe one day you're hitting quads and compound movements like squats. Maybe another day it's primarily glutes, hamstrings, things like hip thrusts, you know, a lot of lateral movements, lateral tube walking, monster walks, um, kickbacks, things like that. And I would target those areas in the lower body two to three times per week. Upper body, right, since I want in this case uh, the lower to be dominant, I would limit my upper body training to once or twice a week. Um, emphasis on deltoids right because it's a good requirement for that division but less training volume on chest um, back we tend to keep high because shells are typically one from the back but you kind of get where i'm going with that right we're creating an adaptation with higher set volumes two to three times per week on the lower body now the other key again we talk about leveraging nutrition and those synergies i would feed higher calories on those lower body days for two reasons one, I'm trying to grow those areas, those lagging areas of this physique. Uh, and two, legs in general are larger muscle groups. So, right, higher oxygen and nutrient demand than things like shoulders or biceps. So that that would be my approach. Um, again, it's so sport specific. This is where we take that framework from the right. OPT model and we adapt it for specific muscular development and physique.
1: All right. I love that. Thank you for, for addressing kind of timing and how many, you know, um, frequency, the frequency at which we address a muscle. So here's another one. And I see, I see some of these big guys like yourself, and they're out there, not just hitting, uh, eight to 12 reps, right. But Mm -hmm. sometimes they're loading extra onto the bar or, and, and now we're seeing just a, a piece of the program where some max strength lifts start being put in. So we're saying one to five repetitions that are being done. Where does that fit in? When does going heavier fit into programming? And then what's the outcome of that? And how does that support the overall goal of muscle hypertrophy? Uh Uh-oh. Did I lose you? Or am I lost? Check, check. Can you hear me, Rick? Sorry. Yeah, I something got you. I got you. Hey, Second oh, man. I think I lost you again there. Oh, and you're coming back. This is going to be fun for the listeners. So <laughs> we're chasing each other right now. Um, so just real quick, and I think you, I think you can hear me. And I'll give you the opportunity to to get back to me. But again, the question is where where does max strength fit in? to a hypertrophy protocol when it comes to figuring out what your programming is. You know, spend time uh, going through uh, you hey, know, you a progressive overload. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. So yeah, the question, where does All that right. max strength fit into that progressive overload?
0: Yeah, so let's pick it up there. With max strength for progressive overloading, um, again, this is another tool that I like to have in my tool bag when I'm really trying to squeeze out that last, you know, one to 2%. So we're training primarily in that muscular uh, development, hypertrophy phase. And there's an appropriate time where I want to pyramid up in weight. And let's say at the end of a, you know, eight week, maybe 12 week bulking um, period, I want to really focus on avoiding plateaus and building that last four or five pounds of mass. In those instances, there's going to be a time where you need to go to higher weights. Um, Again, we think about GAS, general adaptation syndrome or progressive overload. I need to create the demand on the muscle to create an adaptation for that particular stimulus. So um, I would cycle it in. You know, if you're trying to achieve uh, bulking, it's good maybe every sixth or eighth week. Um, Drop Mm. a week in where you go heavy, right? You're starting to push the reps down into that, you know, two to five rep range. You're in that 85 to 95 percent one rep max. Now you don't wanna stay there too long or too frequent because of the amount of inflammation and wear and tear on your joints. And obviously you don't wanna risk injury. But I think as you gradually increase the the loading over the course of six, eight, 10 weeks, start to cycle into that higher max strength and maybe even a little bit of power lifting, things like that towards the end of that prep. Nice,
1: nice, all right. So it makes sense how that would, would fit in. Cause in some regards, I think when you look at max strength, where this is a a neural response, we're really trying to recruit, recruit muscle fibers and in hypertrophy phase, you may not necessarily be recruiting everything. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's nice where the, you know, cycling in max strength is basically like a you know, wake up, wake up to some of these muscle fibers that may not be joining the party. And right. then when you cycle back to hypertrophy, maybe now those guys are like, oh, I feel like I can participate. And we can get some of those muscle fibers to be like, all right, now, now we will join the party and we'll start to grow too. And I'm, uh, you know, I, I just look at people like yourself and I, I don't think there's a single muscle fiber in your body that hasn't hypertrophied. It's remarkable. <laughs> Uh, man, um, let's go into a, a little bit more about progressive overloading and muscular development. So, uh, and and then we're gonna we're gonna wrap up relatively soon. But I do want to keep kind of picking your brain because I'm a guy, not not a lot of hypertrophy. And for me, there are a couple of things. One, I know for sure it is the consistency at which I do focus on muscular development. And the other thing too, and a lot to do with it, especially in my youth, is there was a lot of working out, but not, I felt like I was eating a lot, but it wasn't until uh, a year or so into my personal training that I met a guy that was coaching bodybuilders. And he was like, you are so far underfed than what you think that you can, you can eat all this food, but unless you're eating enough to grow, you're not going to grow. And, and I think that that's something that you touched on already, but something to be addressed in, in sure enough fashion, which is if you don't put the calories on, you're not going to put the weight on.
0: Yeah, that's 100% accurate. And, again, I can't speak to it enough of how those synergies work hand in hand. And. Uh-huh. I- Right, we talk about calculate your total daily energy expenditure and basal metabolic rate, but then to keep yourself at a caloric surplus when you're trying to build muscle is the next big key. Um, the other thing I like to focus on is taking my carbohydrates for the day and shifting the majority of those around my workouts. So pre-workout, uh, intra-workout, you know, a simple carb, and then obviously post-workout to recover. And switch your body from that catabolic state back into an anabolic muscle-building state. And I was just like you, Rick. I, I started out uh, competing in powerlifting. You wouldn't even believe this. 165 pounds was my weight cat weight class, and I was breaking national records. You know, I was bench pressing almost 400 pounds back then. What? At 165 in the raw division. Jesus. And I could not gain a pound to say. Yep. <laughs> I was strong, but I was kind of skinny. And once I learned about how to do my carbohydrate. I knew about protein. I didn't know anything about carbs or healthy fats and you know, how much should I be eating? When should I be eating? What types? Is it high on the glycemic index? Is it low? And once I started to figure this out, it was like night and day. I've consistently over the last eight years put on, you know, eight to 10 pounds of muscle a year. Whoa. It's, it's nuts. Once you figure it out, you can start to create those adaptations. So, um, yeah. Nutrition complementing everything you're doing on the training side is everything when you want to maximize the results, you know, and we should, in fact, that ties in perfectly. I think we should talk about how do how do both of those vary with different body types? Mm. Um, we don't talk about it enough. Again, for an ectomorph, the training and nutrition needed to achieve muscular development is completely different than an endomorph and, you know, a mesomorph being that ideal physique, right? Small joints large full round muscle bellies, great body composition, that that's the ideal physique for bodybuilding. Um, but most of us aren't just one thing, we're kind of in you know, some hybrid of those three attributes. Um, so maybe we wanna to touch on that, right? If we think about
1: yeah.
0: ectomorphs, um, I would consider myself kind of between ectomorph, mesomorph, right? So smaller joints, um, a little bit on the skinny side, but I develop muscle pretty easily. So your training in that regard, if you're a hard gainer, you're going to have to eat more calories, um, higher in carb percentage, let's say 50 to 65 percent, somewhere in that range for your carbohydrates, less cardio when you're trying to put on muscle. You still want to keep a little bit in just for general health, cardiovascular health. Nice. Um, But as a whole, you want to minimize your calorie um, expenditure through cardio and maximize what you're doing on your, your training side and your nutrition um endomorph right if you naturally are thick and blocky you have trouble losing weight um as soon as you you know you think about that muffin and you put on five pounds right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for those guys and gals we want to approach it differently higher amounts of cardio um even when they're bulking i'm going to keep a little bit more cardio in their regimen to keep them lean enough where they're not just building fat right we want a muscular adaptation Man. Um, you know, higher set volumes. So instead of 18 to 20 sets in a workout, I might be going 20 to 25 sets because again, I'm trying to get the adaptation and improve their body composition at the same time. Nice. Um, you know, now if we think about the, uh, mesomorph, so our ideal muscular development candidate, that type of physique, you almost build so easily. You have to be careful how you train a lot more attention to detail. When we think about, Um, training splits, if I don't master that training split just right, you're going to grow out of proportion, right? So if I have the wrong volumes on my shoulders, um, they might become more dominant than my chest. Um, So you can really screw things up because you develop certain muscles so easily. And really that's just, you know, you think about any athlete, not just bodybuilding. Think about Michael Jordan, why was he able to jump so high in basketball, that some of that athletic ability is attributed to your genetic makeup. Right. If you have more skeletal muscle, more type 2 a fast twitch muscle, you know, you're going to be able to give a stimulus and get a much faster adaptation than someone that lacks that. So, uh, again, from a coaching and athlete standpoint, body composition, um, our cardio and our diet is going to help control those. But muscular development and bodybuilding, the coach has to really, really get to learn the athlete's um, strengths and weaknesses and address those.
1: Man, I got—I got to say that—that that mesomorph problem of developing muscle too quickly to be careful—that's tough. Oh, I feel so—that's so bad for them. <laughs> uh, and that—well, that's another thing about the sport itself, right, Andre? Is it's not just do you have big muscles and right. are you lean, but it is in large part uh, consideration of you know what are what are your proportions you know are you are you well proportioned and yep. you know I, I think it's interesting too because there are these little maxims that you know like happy gilmore there you drive drive for for show and putt for dough right. uh these these maxims that are here and so one of them that you brought up earlier in the show is that uh, the bodybuilding competitions are one from the back yeah. I, I think stuff like that's interesting are there little kind of sayings or insights that mm-hmm. that you have that allow us just to have another uh, peek behind the curtain into to bodybuilding that that people like myself don't have. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I think, you know, the saying shows is what you typically will see is that most people, especially guys, I think guys are worse than girls. Girls love training the glutes. That's just what it is guys you know they tend to train what they see in the mirror a lot harder than what they don't so when you're looking in the mirror you know you're training your biceps you're training bench press you're doing abs you know your quads for instance but when you turn around you'll notice uh, a disproportionate physique so that's uh another issue that you know from a training standpoint when i'm coaching or prepping athletes we increase our set volumes and attention to detail on those back days for sure um higher volumes most guys tend to hold naturally in their kind of mid to low back right here in the love handles. So those are areas that we really want to bring out the conditioning. We want to bring out depth and detail, right? So separation within the muscle groups and depending on the division, you might need to get lean enough where you can see striations through the glutes, right? So classic physique, bodybuilding. Okay. In fact, you probably remember me posting that on Instagram at some point. And that's my own self check when I'm prepping for a show. If I don't have striations in my glutes, Two weeks out, I'm not in shape yet, right? Oh, wow. So, and that's part of the reason. When you turn around, guy or girl, if there's any movement, if it jiggles, <laughs> you're you're going to get downscored.
1: Yeah, man. Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you that I, I saw from Instagram is uh, you getting your photo taken with Ronnie Coleman. That's what I saw. That's what I saw on IG. Yeah, hey,
0: Big Ron is an inspiration, and I was just... Um, you know, almost in awe. I don't really get like the whole celebrity shock thing. I've met everybody in the industry. Ron's been one of my idols since day one. So to meet him, you know, talk about our, our, in fact, his youngest daughters and my girls are the same age. So we talked a little bit about that. And, you know, I asked him the question of for physique and bodybuilding, what advice would you have for an athlete like myself? I was expecting to be blown away by some, you know, just crazy, you know, secret response. No, Ron said, look, he was like, is this simple? Have fun and keep going. And that was it. Yeah, really step back and think about anything you're doing. If you're having fun and you're passionate about it, you know, you're going to keep going and you're going to maximize the results. So that was really special to me.
1: Man, that's, I'm not going to lie. I couldn't think of a better response have fun and keep going we talk about consistency and it's hard to be consistent if you're not finding uh, at least some level of fun and listen some people out there they hear us talk about having fun and they mm-hmm. go I will never have fun I never have fun lifting weight it's not necessarily fun <laughs> lifting the yep. weights it's it's fun because there is there's pride that goes along with it. There's an excitement of knowing the work that you're going to do and what you're going to get out of that. And that's fun. And sometimes you do it with people and you're building camaraderie and mm. that is fun. So fun isn't, this is how much it burns. I don't know. I mean, we, we in many instances learn to crave that, right. but for people that just don't understand how people could exercise on a regular basis. This is where I continue to push them and I say, hey, it's not about, it's not about exercising, even. it's about being active. Like yeah. move your body. Movement is your medicine. And so you just got like get your daily dose of your movement. And as you start to appreciate that within yourself, and you yep. have fun in the things that you're doing you can, you can push yourself to things that are more challenging and then find that actually enjoyable, find that fun that you're pushing yourself. And I think that that's, uh, you know, finding the fun in what we do is, is vital for us to keep going and for us to continue to drive others to keep going.
0: So you hit, you hit on a great point there, Rick, when you think about it, just, you know, when we step back out of the training for a moment, out of the nutrition, right? The one thing that really ties all this stuff together to achieve a result is right up here, right? It's our mindset, how we approach it. You know, for me personally, um, you know, I did an interview and I think a video a long time ago talking about iron as a therapy, right? And for me, the quote was um, that iron will always tell you the truth about yourself. So for me, it's like that one consistent thing, right? Whether you're going through a relationship challenge, um, stress at work, uh, whatever it might be, If you can consistently fall back on physical exercise for your therapy, for your stress reduction, Mm. for your anxiety reduction um, and overall health benefits, I think you're in a good place. Um, So that's an important piece of it. And, you know, the other challenging thing for most people is the diet. Right. So a establishing the structure for healthy habits and routines to get to the gym in the first place, three, four or five times a week Um, and then mastering the diet when you don't feel like mastering it. I think it was Mike Tyson had a quote, right? What's, what's Mike's quote is, you know, discipline is doing things that you hate but doing them like you love them, right? <laughs> and it takes right. it takes some self discipline to be able to do that. Uh, if you step back and think about the four disciplines of execution, right? Part of it's also keeping score, so that's our check ins, our accountability. Um, if you if you're not keeping score, you're probably not going to take it seriously. You ever see kids at the at the park, Rick? playing basketball and you drive mm. by and right away at a glance you can tell if they're keeping score right of yeah. course <laughs> <laughs> around taking these ridiculous shots and trying to trick shots the second they start keeping score what happens they
1: oh, the they tighten that up
0: improves the teamwork improves the focus the intensity improves so you got to approach your personal goals your fitness goals the same way you got to keep score and track against them
1: it's a good point All right, well, this kind of leads me to a final question for you, because we talked about diet, talked about muscular development, and I want to take those two things and talk about abs, because this is something that I've heard for many, many, many years, and it is the phrase, abs are made in the kitchen. So how true is that phrase, and how much does muscular hypertrophy play into the abs discussion?
0: Absolutely, all right? So <laughs> abs, this is an interesting one. Um, I've historically taken the approach of training abs like any other muscle group. But I caution you, their abs are very complex, right? We've got our rectus abdominis. We've got the external abs that you would see from a physique standpoint. But what a lot of people skip are those transverse abs. So what's pulling mm-hmm. that waistline in and allowing you in sport bodybuilding to pull a nice vacuum pose, right? When you see the guys like a Frank Zane, that's all your transverse abs so when i'm training people whether it's a guy or a girl i have to uh, train both of those uh, together right so i stack those i might do a couple external ab exercises like crunches deep sit-ups hanging knee raise things of that nature but we also want to target that transverse ab so from a training standpoint i'll mix in things like inchworms planks ab roller um, holding a vacuum pose to mm. shrink up that waistline pull everything in and complement the work you're doing on your external abs. Now, as far as abs are made in the kitchen, that is a fact. So most people (laughs) will train, train, train. And what you end up doing is actually bulking up your core, right? Because you're building muscle. But if you're not lean enough and you're holding adipose tissue subcutaneously, you're holding water subcutaneously from your diet, then you're not going to be able to see all that hard work and the detail that comes along with it. So controlling your diet. You know you're not going to get a ton of detail when you're in a bulking phase unless you're that 100 percent mesomorph i see you guys out there mm-hmm. otherwise it's going to come down to you know when you're in a cutting phase and we're starting to cycle down your carbs you're at a caloric deficit we're increasing your total daily energy expenditure with more cardio and set volume those abs are going to start to come in when you get to that kind of 10 to 12 percent total body fat range you should start to see the detail you get below that you should have very good quality defined abs um, but that's really what it comes down to is minimizing, you know, fat adipose uh, in the in the abdominal areas and then uh, minimizing water retention, primarily driven through your cardio and exercise.
1: Nice. And nice. One of the ways that I sorry, so you're go not ahead.
0: Weight, um, you can also train abs just about it. if you're using heavy weight, like, a you know, holding a weight plate and decline sit ups, mm-hmm. then you want to give yourself enough time to recover.
1: Nice. Okay, yeah, so that's a that's a great follow-up with that. Uh one of the ways I explain abs and hypertrophy and fat is I give the the visual of let's pretend that I have a baseball that's lying down on the floor and I put a pillow on top of it. Yep. And you can't see the baseball really. So let me remove the baseball and I'm going to instead put a softball underneath it. And I put the pillow back down and you can't tell that anything changed. And right. the reason why is because the pillow is in the way. Once you minimize the stuffing in the pillow, then you get a better look at what's going on underneath. And in many instances, you can see the baseball just fine, yep. depending on the size of the pillow. So with that being said, yes, that that layer that's on top. And that's a challenge for, yep. for that sport. And it's one of the things that I find the most absolutely um, – the, the greatest amount of discipline in the sport of bodybuilding, I, I find it's not necessarily the lifting. It right. is the incredible amount of detail, time, effort, focus, discipline that goes around what people actually put in to their body.
0: Right. It's amazing. I, it's a sweet look at Eddie Hart Thor right now. right? Both of those world strong have dropped tremendous amount yes. of weight, getting in shape for a potential boxing match, and it's insane to, it's, you know, tell us they look much smaller. But you see the detail; their abs are insane, right? But you can imagine for deadlifting a thousand pounds or you know overhead pressing four hundred pounds, you've got to have an insane amount of muscle mass in your core. So yeah, yeah. like you said, bringing out those details. Um, the muscles there, you've, you've got to control the diet and you know, make sure that you're lean enough to be able to see it.
1: My man, well listen, that's, uh, that's the last thing that I wanted to bring up. So uh, uh, let me express my incredible appreciation for you being on the show again and I'm really looking forward to seeing you at the Optima Conference. For those of you who are still with us, Optima Conference uh, is October 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. 2021 is the year that we are in, so I know if you're listening to this after that, then um, too bad you missed it. But for those of you who are listening soon and before Optima, it is going to be free this year, all virtual and unlimited access. When when this thing launches, and I'm looking forward to to signing in to, to yours. So, Andre, thank you for being with us. Give a little shout out to you, your social media, how people can connect with you.
0: Absolutely, appreciate having me again, and uh, look forward to talking more. Um, again, you know the lecture for NASM Optima, not just mine, but all of the amazing uh, knowledge that's going to be there. Make sure you attend that, 21st to the 23rd. Uh, My social media is on Instagram. It's Andre Adams underscore official. Uh, My direct website, www.andreadamsofficial.com. And if you are attending the Mr. Olympia on October 7th through 10th, you can find me at booth 404 with Titan
1: Medical Center. Very nice, sir. Thank you so much. Uh, You guys can reach out to me if you have any questions. Instagram at dr.rickrichie, or you can email me at rick.richie, R-I-C-H-E-Y at nasm.org. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.